Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, part five is what we're going to look at. And as I open this morning, I was uh, reading again in chapter four of my book. If you get a chance to get the book, it would help you because it's a great resource. But there's a man in Japan called Nisan, and he was 34 years old. And here's a strange thing about him. He established a long-term, long-term relationship with a PC game character called Nemutin. And he ended up carrying this PC character around, printed on a pillow. And he took this PC character on dates. And for three years, he conducted what he considered was a relationship, a romantic relationship, with someone on a pillowcase. And when asked about it, uh, he said, it's because my real girlfriend broke up with me. We now have been together for three years, and I have real feeling for her. I want to marry her but I'm conflicted on the inside. Now, some of you are giggling, and, uh, and you are thinking, no. This strange phenomena is becoming more and more popular, especially in Japan, which is quite a formal culture, because people do not know how to relate to each other properly. And online relationships are exacerbating the problem. It gets worse. There's a 29-year-old woman by the name of Emily Mabu from Ghana, who, uh, who married her 13-month-old dog in a formal ceremony. Her family boycotted the ceremony. And when asked why she would marry a dog, she says, men in Togo are skirt chasers and cheaters. My dog is kind and loyal and treats me with respect. The village priest who conducted the ceremony asked the people not to mock, but to rejoice with her in her newfound happiness. When asked about having children, Thankfully, they will adopt. You see, these funny stories are not just funny, they are tragic. Because they show the extent to which we are weak and poor on relationships, especially romantic relationships. And you know what? Every problem in the world is a problem of relationships. Every problem. The war in Ukraine is a problem of relationships. Racism is a problem of relationships. Conflicts and, and strife in the home are problems of relationship. Church splits are problems of relationships. And we're either part of the problem or we're part of the solution. And, you know, someone once said, it, life would be wonderful if it weren't for people. Maybe you're one of those people who feel like that. And sometimes people, you know, if you're in business, people are the source of your income. If you have good family and friends around you, they're the source of your blessing. But sometimes they can be the source of pain and they can be the source of misery. And so we need to know how to handle people and deal with people. And, uh, you know, Jethro gave Moses advice on how to deal with the children of Israel. And he said to him, if you don't multiply the leadership, you're going to be crushed. And I want to read to you here before I give you the title. In Exodus 18, it says, Then Moses chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. Now notice this. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones 
they decided themselves. What that tells me is some people can be extremely difficult and when dealing with difficult people, you need a lot of instruction. It's not a simple matter. Are you with me? How many of you have got difficult people in your life? Don't move. Just look straight ahead. You say, I'm married to them. I want to speak to you today on how to deal with difficult people. Because one thing is true, difficult people can inflict pain on you, and if you don't know how to handle them, just like Moses had, had leaders, but they didn't know how to handle them, he said, you need to bring them to me because they require special kind of training. We, if we're not equipped to deal with difficult people, can end up with misery in our lives and not just pain. Someone once said this, I thought it was quite funny, if you want plenty of experience in dealing with difficult people, then have kids. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And Mark Shand, the late Mark, late Mark Shand, the travel writer, British travel writer and elephant handler said this. He said, people are so difficult, give me an elephant any day. Isn't that the truth? For someone to say, give me an elephant, I'd rather have an elephant than a difficult person. Shows you what a difficult person can do in your life. Now, Paul had to deal with difficult people. He had difficult members. He had difficult staff members. He had conflict in the Philippian church between his co-workers, Eudio uh, and Syntyche, who were arguing. Paul had difficult people in prison. He was persecuted. He was stoned. He knew how to handle difficult people, and he gives us advice here, which is my opening text and uh, in Romans chapter 12. And you'll notice a lot of them are don'ts. Are you with me? He says in Romans 12 and verse 14, if someone mistreats you because you're a Christian, don't curse him. Pray that God will bless him. When others are happy, be happy with them. If they are sad, share their sorrow. Work happily together. Don't try to act big. Don't try to get into the good graces of important people, celebrities. But enjoy the company of ordinary folks. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honest, clear through. This is the Living Bible, which is slightly paraphrased. He says, don't quarrel with anyone. Be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. And so his advice here has a lot of what not to do when dealing with difficult people. I'm going to give you some things that we shouldn't do, and then look at some things that we should do. Do you think that will help you? And uh, we will look at seven things that we shouldn't do, just very briefly, and then eight things that we need to do in dealing with difficult people. Do you think this will help you today? Don't nod too vigorously. That will be a giveaway. Number one, avoiding them. Don't avoid difficult people. You need to pray for them and be proactive rather than withdraw from them. Otherwise, God can't use you to reach them or help them or be a link to them. He often puts us with difficult people in order for us to play a role in their lives. Mahatma Gandhi said this. He said, we must not lose faith in humanity. Humanity is an ocean. If a few drops of the ocean are dirty, the ocean does not become dirty. He saw good in everybody, and so we mustn't avoid them. Number two, being false and pretending. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, love must be sincere. So we need to be genuine, but here's the thing. You don't need to be over-friendly, and you don't need to avoid them. 
This is the key. Listen to me today. You need to be formal. When you are formal with someone, they will often try and win you. I know that for ministry. When you're formal with difficult people, they will do what they can to please you or win you. If you're over-friendly, they abuse you. If you withdraw, they try and make it worse because they know that they're getting to you. So we mustn't avoid them. We mustn't be false and pretend. We need to be formal. Number three, advising them. Sometimes we think it's our job to lecture and argue with people. It's energy-consuming, and some people just don't listen. Have you noticed difficult people don't listen to you? Hmm? You need discernment as to when to speak and when not to speak. In fact, this wonderful proverb here, I've quoted it so many times, Proverbs 26, it seems like a contradiction, and this is why people say the Bible contradicts itself. It doesn't. It says you do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And then it says in the next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. You need to know when to keep quiet and when to speak. And sometimes you need to answer the curse according to his folly. Other times you need to not answer and just keep quiet and walk away. And if you're working with difficult people, these are skills that will save you from misery. Number four, don't be baited. Because difficult people will bait you to get a reaction out of you. Isn't that the truth? You need to set boundaries and listen. Never accept personal insults, especially if you work with difficult people. Don't accept personal insults because you, eventually you will end up exploding. And difficult people like to bait you. They like to insult you personally. They like to say bad things about you, about you as a woman or as a man or, uh, you know, uh, personal insults about your mother or your family. And sometimes it can be quite vulgar. Don't be baited because words are dangerous. And you might think you win, but actually you don't. I, I was thinking about this just Friday night, and it made me think that words are a lot like a sword. The Bible says that the Word of God is a, is a two-edged sword. And you know what? When a sword is in a sheath, it's very safe. Can't cut anyone. And what difficult people like to do is they like to bait you because they want you to draw your sword. Because what they like doing is they like to parry. So they come and they bait you because they want to parry. But when you parry, someone will get cut. The props department had this, fortunately. What you've got to do is you've got to keep it in a sheath. And I will not be baited. I'm bigger than this. Can you say amen? Number five. Are you all still good? This is what you mustn't do with difficult people, being a loaded gun. You pray in the morning, you plan, watch when I see them. Hmm? You're ready to nail them. If they dare say that to me again. You say, well, Pastor, someone's heard about, do you remember the disciples in Luke 9? They said to Jesus, Lord, these Samaritans are being difficult. Shall we call down fire from heaven? He said, That's not, no, you don't know what spirit you're of. And we can end up doing that. And uh, this is what we like saying. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. No, you keep that piece to yourself. And you do what we will look at a bit later when it comes to difficult people. Martin Luther King said this, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. You don't help it, it exacerbates it, especially when someone is an unbeliever. Number six, this is what you mustn't do. 
Don't deny their impact on you. We can deny their impact on us, and in the end, we suffer. Uh, this doesn't matter. This doesn't affect me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm me. That is a lie. It gets in deep, and uh, it's like swallowing poison, and you become bitter. And listen, bitterness is drinking poison and thinking it's going to hurt the other person. And in fact, it kills you, and it can seriously affect your health. So when you have difficult people in your life, you must know how to deal with it. Otherwise, it's going to affect you physically. And number seven here, this is important. When dealing with difficult people, what we tend to do is, and this is what we mustn't do, is criticize them. See, what we like to do is as soon as we meet with a friend, we will tell them all about that difficult person. Or we will go home and vent on our spouse, and then the home is an unhappy place while we all miserably talk about it at the table. In fact, we need to know how to deal with difficult people because we will have them more and more in our lives as the world gets worse. Are you with me? And we need to recognize that, and I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. So how do we deal with difficult people? Let me give you eight ways if I have the time. And uh, Peter Drucker said this. He said, working with people is difficult but not impossible. You need to believe that you can get this right. Can you say amen? So number one, this is what you need to do when dealing with difficult people, is believe that people are not static. Believe that people are not static. In other words, they may be like this now, but they can change and they can grow. We have to believe that they are not entirely evil. You see, the way you view a person is, is they, they're from the devil, they're demon-possessed. No, you, you need to believe that they've got issues. Maybe there's something that, that's, that's wrong. Maybe there's a background issue, but it's not hopeless. They can change and they can grow. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said this. He says, if you treat men the way they are, you never improve them. If you treat them the way you want them to be, you do. And we must believe that people can grow. Maybe they are hurt. Maybe they are lost, broken, misguided. They've got issues. We need to also remember that we were once like that. Hmm? Don't just look down on people now that you're saved and God's word is working in your life and in your family and you come to church and you, you, you receive the word of God online. You need to recognize that you too are capable sometimes of being difficult. And every husband or every wife said, Amen. You see, Titus says this. He says in chapter 3, uh, Paul writing to Titus, sorry, says, Once we too were foolish. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled by others and became slaves to many wicked desires and evil pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy. We hated others and they hated us. Sounds like we were difficult. Hmm? It can still be difficult. But then God, our Savior, showed us His kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. See, Paul often admitted his weaknesses, and here writing to Titus, he speaks about the past, and he says, look, you know, people can change, and uh, we need to believe that they're not static and we need to have humility as we deal with difficult people. And uh, when you realize that people can change and grow, you will be less miserable. Some of you may remember the uh, lead singer of the Stone Temple Pilots, a man called Scott Valant. And he was convicted for drug possession, sentenced to time in jail. And it really affected him and it had a big impact on him. And he talked to Rolling Stone magazine about how it affected him. And he said, it's not thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. 
A lot of my ways of thinking have backfired on me, my stubbornness, my pride, my arrogance. The difficult thing is that those defects of character become assets in my business, the rock and roll world. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if it's people consider it an asset in the Christian world to behave badly and arrogantly sometimes. But here he's saying prison changed me because I was a difficult person. And he says, uh, it's great being a rock star, but you know what? Being a rock star doesn't give you the license to view yourself as more important than anyone else. And if I'm to, be, if I'm to become a better man, a man who has some compassion and humility, instead of just expecting people to understand me, that doesn't make me less of a rock star. He recognized that he too had issues and was a difficult person, but humility gave him a sense of balance. Sadly, in 2015, he died of an overdose of cocaine and alcohol because that business, it's so funny how young people chase after it, but that thing can be the death of you. Fame is not all it's cracked up to be in the world and even in the church. Listen to me today if this message is being watched somewhere overseas by someone who doesn't belong to Rivers Church. Fame is something that people desire because, you know, God's meant to be worshipped and we want, we want worship. We want, we want to be important and people want large churches because they want to be worshipped. Now, it's actually about serving others. It's about building others. And that's why today I don't mind preaching a simple, point-by-point, -point practical message. If you don't like it, the goal was to serve you, not impress you. The goal was to serve you, not sell books. And we can get caught up in this stuff and we can feel superior, but we need to look at people and realize that they're not static. Can you say amen? Number two, don't allow them to control or color your world. Every day they will try and color your world. What do I mean by that? Well, in the book I wrote about this, they will make your skies gray or they will make you see red. <laughs> How many of you have found that when you get around difficult people, they can make the whole day feel terrible? They can make you see red. And that's what happens when you don't know how to deal with difficult people. You've got to deal with the positive people around you. And you've got to remember that no one can control you unless you let them. And you have to constantly make a decision. Proverbs 14 says this, if you stay calm, you are wise. But if you have a hot temper, you only show how stupid you are. Wise. Why wise? Because you know how it works. And when you stay calm, you say, ah, you're trying to bait me. I know what you're trying to do. The devil's trying to get me to fall into sin. You're trying to get my whole day to be gray or for me to see red. I will not. Amen. And it happens to us so easily. We need wisdom and we need grace. Number three, always dealing with difficult people, always look deeper. Always look deeper. What do I mean by that? Well, Mark Twain said this. He said, we are all alike on the inside. You see, you cannot always take people at face value. Sometimes the people who seem to be the most difficult need the most patience and love from us because we can't see beneath the surface what's making them difficult. Have you met their husband or wife? You might have great compassion on them. If you work with a difficult boss, what's he carrying? Yeah, he just sits in his office and we're the ones who do the work. You don't know what he's carrying. You don't know from the shareholders or from the top, the pressure. Look a little deeper. 
Maybe they're co-worker. Maybe they come from a broken background. Maybe they've been abused sexually or physically. So now they don't trust people. So the defense mechanism is they will be difficult to protect themselves before you hurt them. You've got to look deeper. You have to look deeper to see. Maybe they've got huge insecurities. And so they're overcompensating by being angry. Prove to you they're someone Maybe they've got a completely different temperament to you and you're mistaking it for being difficult. Some people like to talk a lot. They like to explain everything in detail. Other temperaments, give me the headlines. What is it we need to do? One, two, three. Okay, cheers. You're like, they sound friendly. No, they're not. That's just their temperament. So you have to keep looking deeper. Otherwise, you will draw the wrong conclusions and you will be miserable when you shouldn't be. It's amazing what can affect our lives. Here's an interesting thing. Are they hurt? How do you tell if someone's hurt? When they hurt physically, you can see it. Hey, Someone's got a broken arm. You, oh, they broke their arm. But when someone has a deep break on the inside, you don't always know. And here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people. Someone who's difficult usually has been hurt. Even, listen, even if they drive a nice car, dress nicely in designer clothes, and live in a fancy house, those things can conceal the fact that they're absolutely damaged and hurt. And they can have a high position at work. Maybe they were promoted through whatever means. And now you think, well, they could never be. You need to look deeper. I remember reading the uh, book. It's called Two Letters from, uh, sorry, Three Letters from Teddy. Is it? three letters from Teddy, by Elizabeth Ballard, and she tells the story of Teddy Stallard, a young boy who was the pupil in her class, and uh, who was incredibly difficult. He was the most difficult boy in her class, and uh, she delighted, uh, sorry, the, the author ratio, Elizabeth Ballard, tells about Mrs. Thompson, who was the teacher, and who found it incredibly difficult dealing with this boy. She just delighted in giving demerits and disciplining him and just making his life a misery because he was just impossible. All the other kids worked well, but not him. And one day she had a realization, I need to talk to this boy. And so she spoke to him, and she inquired about his background. She found out that his mother had had a terminal illness, and she had died while he was young, and he had had to watch this terminal illness play out. And it really shocked her. She didn't know that about the boy. And uh, then at the end of the year, he, you know, he didn't really do well, and uh, his marks were bad, but he brought her half a bottle of perfume. And she's like, half a bottle of perfume. And, and he said, I want to give you this. And she was like, turned out it was his mother's perfume. So she said, he said, this is my mother's. So she sprayed it on herself. And she said, the boy responded, Teddy responded by saying, you smell just like my mother. And she said, it broke her heart. And it changed her immediately. And she began to spend time with him after school and work with him, give him extra care and not be so hard on him. And in the end, he ended up doing extremely well. There was a notable change in him. At the end of his high school, that's why the book's called Letters from Teddy, uh, he, he sent a letter to Mrs. Thompson saying that he graduated near the top of his class from high school. He then sent another letter when he graduated with honors from university. And then another letter came after he finished medical school and was about to get married. And every letter had words of sincere gratitude for the effort, time, and love that Mrs. Thompson had invested in him. It's amazing what can happen in someone's life who seems to be a difficult person, but you look deeper and you show a bit of love. You'd be amazed what God can do and how he can use us. 
I've seen that in the church, and I still get irritated like you would, but we need to love difficult people. Number four, here's an important thing that you need to know. Know who you are, what your value is, and what God called you to do. You see, when you have difficult people around you, they demean you and they try to devalue you. But when you know who you are in Christ and you've got a clear vision for your life and you have a clear identity in Christ and you know that you have weaknesses and failings and just like anybody, you're capable of sin, you're capable of falling or being tempted or whatever it is, you realize that when a person insults you and demeans you, that actually that's not who you are and you're open to correction but because of your good identity in Christ, you are able to survive it. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, Romans 12 says, have a sober judgment of his. Do not think of yourself more highly, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Why does he say that? Because in relationships, if you know who you are, if you don't think too much of yourself and too little of yourself, you'll be very good on relationships because you won't be able to be bullied. It's that simple. And so when you know who you are, what God has called you to be, an angry or insulting person won't put you off. I was just thinking the other day, I was somewhere and I was racking my brains, but a guy, oh, it was in the restaurant. We were in the restaurant at Pomodoro just up the road here, and a guy was drinking with a friend, and he got louder and louder, and he was using such vulgar language. We were sitting quite away from him, probably the length of these seats away from him, but it was, it became possible for us to talk, and there was another couple, an older couple, sitting there, and that you could see they were stressed out, and, and, and he, this guy just kept on, and then Pastor Wilma went up to him and said, excuse me, do you mind? We're in a public restaurant, there's not a bar, and he turned around and he said, but not like this, so the whole restaurant heard. And then he looked at me like, come. And Pastor Andre was going to get up and take him on in the restaurant and end up in the Santon Chronicle. No, because he was a difficult person and he was drinking. But that vulgarity can demean you and make you rise up and say, I've got to defend my honor. I've got to defend my wife's honor. You, you saw that on screen just recently. Now, that's not the way to deal with difficult people. You've got to know who you are and keep the sword sheath because someone will get cut. Can you say amen? Number five, learn how to shake things off quickly. Gosh, that's an art in life. Hey? I've spoken on this numerous times, preached messages on this, but learn how to shake things off quickly. David Leddick is the author of a book called, I'm Not For Everyone, Neither Are You. <laughs> Good title there. Eh? He says, just because you're dealing with difficult people does not mean that you must become like them. You see, what, we ha what happens to us when dealing with difficult people is we want to respond to them like they're responding to us. But we've got to shake it off and say, no, this is not going to happen. And Jesus gave his disciples advice because he knew when they went to preach the gospel, they would not be accepted and they would encounter difficult people, Pharisees, Sadducees, all sorts of cults and offshoots, Samaritans, and he knew they're going to have challenges. And so he told them in Matthew chapter 10, you'll remember this, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Now, 
I think there's a significance in that. Sometimes you physically need to go maybe into the bathroom, go to the loo, wash your hands, and as a token of, I won't let this stick to me. Because it gets in, it gets in, it gets in. It's like bitterness, and it becomes poison. Don't tell, don't tell yourself, I can handle this. This doesn't affect me. No, it does affect you. But you've got to shake it off. You've got to make a decision. And Paul did this repeatedly. Remember in Acts when he came out of the, out of the storm? He went onto the island of Malta, and he made a fire. And as, he, as they made the fire and were putting wood on it, a viper put itself around his, his hand, remember? And he, the Bible says he shook it off into the fire. And here's the thing. When the viper put itself around his hand, they said, oh, he must be a criminal. He's getting judged. And then as he shook it off, they said, oh, he must be a god. That's how fickle and difficult people can be. One minute you're this, the next minute you're that. But what you have to do is you have to shake it off. Can you say amen? Number six, practice being forgiving. It's a form of giving. Forgiving. Are you with me? Listen, as long as we're on this side of heaven, we will have to practice this. Because we will encounter difficult people that we have to forgive. And uh, Romans 12 verse 18 says in the NIV, if it is possible, because sometimes it's not, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you can't live at peace, well, you, you must try. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, it's God's business. You do what you can, and then you leave the rest to him. Proverbs 19 and verse 11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. See, sometimes we think it's to our glory to rise up and show you who's boss and, and to speak another negative comment or to punch someone. That's not it. It's to your glory to actually keep quiet. Are you with me? And the Bible instructs us that... Uh, that we should do that, even though someone is undeserving. Now, here's the principle. Why do I say be forgiving? It is like giving. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the Bible says that we should give to the poor and we should give alms? But then it says this. It says, when you reap your fields, don't reap right to the edges. Leave some, some margin. Also, if you overlook a sheaf or you drop some fruit, the Bible actually says, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the poor, for the Widow and so on. In other words, they don't deserve it. They didn't work for it. It's not theirs, but you are letting them have it. When it comes to that kind of thing, you're like, yeah, of course, of course. No, no. When a person is rude and, and, and nasty, when they use F words in public against your wife in a restaurant, your, your natural reaction is, man, I'm, I'm going to have to show you. No, no. You give them something they didn't earn and don't deserve. Because that's what Jesus did. And if you've got someone who you work with that's like that, someone who's doing that to you all the time, give them something they don't deserve because that's what God did for us. It's a form of giving. You say, oh gosh, Pastor Ray, is that, is that a good idea? Yes, it is. God will use it for his glory. I don't know if you remember me telling you the story, but it's in the book. It's a man called Chris Carrier. When he was just 10 years old, he, uh, just before, a few days before Christmas, he was coming home from school, and a car stopped next to him, and a man said to him, hi, I'm a friend of your dad's, and we're going to go and buy a Christmas present. 
do you want to come with me and choose? And he was like, yeah, great. And he jumped in the car, and this guy drove him to a remote field in the middle of nowhere, down in the Florida Everglades, Everglades where there's alligators. And he was sitting in the car, and the man said, you know, I think I'm a little bit lost. I don't know how I got lost, but won't you look in this map? And he took a map out of the glove box, and as Chris Carrier was looking at the map, he felt a sharp pain in the back of his, in the back of his neck, and the guy had hit him with, a, with an ice pick in his back. And uh, next minute, he felt a massive explosion, and the guy shot him in the head, and then kicked him, threw him out the car, and left him for dead in the Florida Everglades, where it's alligator-ridden. He lay there for six days in that marshy place, unconscious, and someone happened to find him and take him back. And he recovered, but he had lost sight in one of his eyes. And uh, the, the attack left him so scarred, that, and they didn't know why it happened. The, the, the police started you know, protecting him at his home, and for three years he lived in complete fear. But then three years after that attack, he was invited to church and he accepted Christ into his life. And things began to change, and uh, he grew up, and he then went into full-time ministry. Isn't that wonderful? And, um, and he grew, and then many, many years later, he was contacted by the police who said, we have got the person who attacked you, they confessed to the crime. And he said, oh, wow. And, and he said, um, I, I, I want to see him. It was a guy called David McAllister. He was now 77 years old, frail, dying of an illness, and, uh, and so he went to visit him. Imagine going to visit this guy. I'd be like, yo, you're dying. Good. <laughs> Come on now. That's our fleshly nature. Instead, he went to visit him, and then he went home and told his family, and his whole family started visiting this guy. And he then apologized, uh, the, the man in the bed apologized to him and, and admitted that he had done it. And, and the reason was he worked for his father and was helping his father. And his father caught him drunk and so fired him. So he took it out on the boy. They never knew why. And he found out years later, blind in one eye. And you know what he told him? He told him, I've forgiven you long ago because I couldn't live with this. And I forgave you. Then he's been to speak to him about Jesus. And he asked him if he wanted to accept the Lord, 77 years old. Him and his family led him to the Lord. And just a few days after that, he quietly passed away and went to be with Jesus. You see, you have to be forgiving. It's a form of giving. But if we respond as they are, we will never reach people for Jesus. Hmm? Lewis Seneca said this, uh, sorry, Lucius Seneca he says, however wretched a fellow mortal may be, he is still a member of our common species. Number seven, are you still good? We've got a few moments here. Pray for them. It empowers you and changes them. I'll be brief with these next two. Pray for them. It empowers you and changes them. See, Jesus taught us this, and Paul speaks about it too in Romans 12. But Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy, sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. It doesn't just stop there. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see, one of the things about being around difficult people, and you'll relate to this, is you feel overpowered by them. That's why we want to react. We want to say something nasty. We want to draw our sword. But someone will get cut. And so we feel powerless. 
Jesus says, no, you're not powerless. Don't just suck it up. Don't just swallow it. It's going to make you bitter. Pray about it. Be proactive and get it out because that's one of the ways you can shake it off. And as you pray, God can change them. If you've got difficult neighbors, pray about them. Pray about them. It's the only way. You can't fight with them. You can't glare at them. Every time you come out, you know what you're doing. Your kids are screaming again. No. It's going to make you upset. Pray. Lord, I pray. Pray for these dogs. Been barking for an hour. In the name of Jesus. And sometimes, Lord, I pray for these dogs. I pray for these dogs in the name of Jesus. Now, you know what I've done? I've got two dogs next to me. They bark. It's like, hee-ho, hee-ho, as they bark, hee-ho. And, you know, it's okay if it's five minutes. It goes on for an hour. Put my headphones on. I listen to something while I'm working. Next minute, I've forgotten about it. And I've prayed about it. I will be happy one day to stand here and report that they have either died or gone or had their goodies cut out. No, seriously, church, when you pray, God works. Can you say amen? Mark Batterson wrote an incredible book called Draw the Circle. He's a pastor from Washington, D.C. He's written a number of wonderful books. And he says, all of us have impossible people in our lives. All we can do is circle them in prayer. It's the only way to keep our attitude in check. So every time I got angry, I converted it into prayer. I think it's the closest I've ever come to pray without ceasing because I was angry all the time. <laughs> if you pray, you shake it off. If you pray, you do something proactive. You're not swallowing the poison and you're not letting them color your world with gray or red. And number eight, this is what you need to remember. A little extra added here. They provide us with valuable training for leadership. Do you know that God uses difficult people to develop you? I know. We had a saying in the Assemblies of God. We used to say this. Every, every church needs a pastor. You know, that's why you send a pastor. Every church needs a pastor. But we said this. Every pastor needs a church. And so while the church needs you, you need them because they do something to you. And all the churches I pastored, something was shaped in me. When I came to this church, there were just 70 people in a meeting, and they were difficult. They didn't like me. They told me at the door when they left, why did they send you? Couldn't they find anybody else? And look at us today. We survived. We pressed through. We dealt with them. Some people needed to be rebuked, as Paul said to Timothy, rebuke, reprove, and exhort. We began to teach and train. Sometimes we had to say to people, you need to go to another church. Because I'm not going. You've got choice. And look what God can do if you press through and it grows your leadership. Hmm? Galileo, Galilei said this, the astronomer, I have never met a man so ignorant that I couldn't learn something from him. See, 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we come to a close, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and to be patient with difficult people. In chapter 3, he goes on to say, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Why? For people will love only themselves and their money. 
Why, why will we have pain? Why will we have difficulty? Because in the last days, it's going to become even worse on relationships. People are going to carry around people on pillowcases. People are going to marry dogs because it gets so hard to relate. And we're going to retaliate, and we're going to attack each other. That's why you attack each other on social media, because we've never learned to deal with difficult people. And the Bible has the keys. Let's absorb some of this today. Maybe it doesn't apply. Maybe you know someone who needs to hear this message. Pass it on to them. But let's always try and respond in the way Jesus did. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.